everyone, and welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, graduate student in education at Liberty University, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, professor of English and philosophy at Genesee Community College. When we talk about play, we are habituated to thinking of the make-believe activities of children. And some definitions of play clearly demarcated as such, like Hazinga's magic circle. Other definitions are much broader, making intrinsic motivation the primary determinant. When we look at colloquial language, we get an even more complex picture. Our cultural icons are football players, guitar players, and actors playing roles. Clearly, play is a serious matter. All right, so we're going to head into um, something a little bit lighter than um, our recent our recent topics. Um but as the intro would kind of indicate, not not really any less um, important. No, I don't know. So, what is play? How do we how do we define that? Uh, well, I know you've done your due diligence and looked up all kinds of things, and and as you know, I've reviewed a number of things. But for me, at one level, at at the start, play is that activity which is chosen uh, which brings joy and delight uh, perhaps distraction from the usual um, an activity that is thoroughly in, engaging of your some element of your creative self whether it's your humor your art including music what <clears throat> an activity that rejuvenates you by reminding you that your life is not just about work. All right. So right there we have, um, there's a lot to that, right? And that's, that's the thing is trying to define play is, um, hard work. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. There's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different opinions out there. And, uh, you know, uh, the one I just mentioned, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but uh, Hazinga there, he he has like the foremost um, work, you know, writing on on play. Mm -hmm. And his definition of it is, is very long. Yeah. <laughs> and But it's mostly focused on what we would consider a, a fairly traditional definition of play. He references um, the activities of children. Um the magic circle, which is essentially saying, uh, you know, the outside world doesn't exist. We have our own world here with its own rules and we're, we're making believe that sort of thing. And, um, and so that, that seems pretty, um, uncontroversial, um, as a, an example of play, but to define it in those narrow of a terms, I think a lot of people would say, okay, well, yeah, obviously that constitutes play, but that's, that seems to be one aspect of it, but there's a lot of other ways you could look at it. But the problem is when you start widening the definition, you come into different issues as well. So like one of the, you know, probably the most loose definition um, that I read was essentially just saying, basically, it's anything somebody does for um, intrinsic, through intrinsic motivation for their own enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it at that sort of level, then... There's a lot of different things that become play. What we're doing right now becomes play because yes. nobody's, nobody's paying us to do this. We don't have sponsors or anything. Nope. Uh, you know, nope. we're just doing it for fun. So nope. this would be considered play or, you know, Indeed. almost, you know, I was trying to think about it. All right. I'm going to school, right? I'm going to school for um, a master's degree. Now, could I achieve financial gain from that? Yes, but I don't intend to. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, then basically the only reason I'm going is for intrinsic. I'm just intrinsically motivated to do it. It's, Hey, this piques my curiosity. I like doing it. So almost that could be considered play. Um, so really when you, yes. when you broaden it out, all of a sudden it gets, you know, and even like you said, um, in your definition, you said something that's, that's different from work. Well, if somebody really enjoys their work, now you have like, oh, or if you're intrinsically motivated to say that, yes, it, it, it gets very it. messy. Very it does messy. because you can, you can, if you enjoy your work and, and of course work has problematic elements, no matter how much, but if, if those moments when you're really enjoying your work, you are an engaged in a kind of play, 
because you're not primarily thinking necessarily how much am I making this hour? How much am I making that hour? I'm, I'm doing this thing because I've chosen in my life to do this mm-hmm. thing. And I've had the, the grand the luck or blessing to be able to do this thing. There's a book that so influenced me on this. It's called, um, it's by Diane Ackerman, who's a poet, a creative writer. Uh, she writes remarkably about science. And I, Joel, back to one of the classes you took with me, I don't remember if at that point, I, I have used Diane Ackerman's books sometimes. Um, and she lives in Ithaca hmm. and uh, teaches at Ithaca College and sometimes I think at Cornell. But her book, Deep Play, here's what she says. Deep play arises in such moments of intense enjoyment, focus, control, creativity, timelessness, confidence, volition, lack of self-awareness, hence transcendence, while doing things intrinsically worthwhile, rewarding for their own sake. Deep play feels cleansing because when acting and thinking becomes one, there is no room left for other thoughts. So they, she has the word deep, and a lot of psychologists too. Deep play is that which is so in, completely engaging. Yeah, that's real interesting. Because um, I think that you know, you look if you look at it that way, it's almost like play is almost kind of a mindset. Yes. And then I, I think that different people experience different amounts of it, and um, you know, may not even may not even think of it as being a specific activity. Uh, so let's, let's, let's try to put some, some boundaries on it. Sure. So play has to be an intrinsically motivated, right? You can't, nobody, you, there can't be an extrinsic, extrinsic motivation to play. Can there, do you think? Well, I, I, yeah, I can think of one right away. When a parent says, tell you, go play. <laughs> You're a kid, and the parent wants you to go play. Um, the the extrinsic motivator is th- that. Th- that's the spark. But then as a child, if you say, oh, okay, you start puttering around and messing around and find your way into telling a story you didn't even know you were going to tell, or throwing sand or, or whatever it happens to be. I'm watching my granddaughter do so many things now that are playful and finding humor. And, and But it doesn't just happen with everybody just because of the extrinsic mode. So you can have a, an extrinsic motivation to put yourself in the place where play can happen. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to. Yeah. And, you know, as a musician or an artist or whatever, you you experience that at times. You have kind of a a writer's block or or something, you know, where you say, okay, well, this is my defined time where I'm going to play guitar or I'm going to paint or I'm going to write or do these things. And then nothing really comes to you, you know. And so I guess, the uh, you know, what would the uh, antithesis of of play be? At first, I was going to say boredom based off of your, you know, the, the scenario you brought up. Because if your parent tells you to go and play and you don't really feel like playing, then you're probably just going to be bored. Um, but as an adult, it's probably something a little bit different, right? You're, if you're trying, actively trying to play and you can't, <laughs> like nothing's coming to you, yeah. you know, what is that, what is that state of mind, you know? Um, so so it, it requires more than just intrinsic motivation, I would say. That it does. You can't just want to play and play. There has to be another element to it. Do you think that that's? Do you think it has, there has to be a hypothetical element? What do you mean by that? So let's uh, the magic circle. Let's talk about the magic circle, right? Um, do you think play necessarily has to be um, imaginative? Hmm. That's a really fine question. Uh, all right. Um, Let's try some things, and then you tell me whether there's imaginativeness involved in it. Which doesn't mean we're going to we're not going to take on every possible thing that could be played. But you pick up a ukulele and you start randomly strumming it, and then and humming and um, does that? Yeah, yeah, I think that that counts. Okay. Um, 
uh, I'm reading a book and I find that I suddenly, not suddenly, I haven't turned a page, but I've been sitting there and I know that I've been in a different place with uh, imagining characters. Mm-hmm. I drive down the road. I shouldn't do this, but I think most of us do. And then I start um, hearing music, humming lyrics, something because of the mood that I'm in, even if I don't have anything turned on in the car. Right. <sighs> so, you, so you're saying that play probably does require an imaginative element. I would agree with that. And the, I think that it's there's very. Um, I think there's constraints on it though. The the way I'm thinking about it is that okay, um, let's say you got a plot of land, right? Mm-hmm. You're looking at this plot of land. If you use your imagination, you can pretty much put anything there you want. Yeah. Right. But if you put a foundation on the land, then you think, okay, well, then there's probably gonna be a building that's constrained to this size, but the building could be anything I want. Mm-hmm. Well then if you put up framing for a building, you realize, okay, well, this building's either going to be one or two stories and it's going to have this many rooms and the rooms are going to be this size, but I can decide where I want to put a, um, a kitchen if it's going to be a house or a window. I could put a window window on the floor. I could put a window in the ceiling. So you build the house. And then after you build the house, um, you think, Oh, okay, well now, um, I can decide what colors I want to paint the walls or what kind of flooring I want to put in that sort of thing. After you put that stuff in, um, now you're really getting into furnishing and that sort of thing. Uh, to me, play is something similar, right? Um, from the regards of if you're somebody who, you know, depending on what situation you're in or what your background is, what sort of things you've built um, on whatever foundation of play you're engaging in, kind of depends on what sort of things you can do with it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's the way that that's the best way i can describe it i think there's an imaginative element but i think that based on how far you've kind of progressed in whatever play it is you're engaging in determines how you're going to develop or what sort of things you're going to do with it it does there is that constraint so even let's take theater so you 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 have a script now, maybe you made the script, maybe you're the playwright, and you make adjustments after you find a cast of actors, or you enter and you, you have discussion with the actors, or the actors or and puppeteers, and uh, if, if it's puppeteering, acting, and the playwright, um, adjust because of, or they decide they need a different puppet, or they decide they need a different character. Uh, but eventually, but you still have the through line, you still have the arc of the story, and and as it's taking shape. But once that's done, and another troupe or another group, or you indeed later uh, put the show on again, almost inevitably, invariably, because of the nature of creative ability, you're, you're not going to do it the same way. They're going to be different interpretations, and and that's play. As a matter of fact, I, that almost seems to be the most important part of play to me, right? Because if you are... You can be somebody who's technically good at a lot of things. If you're a technically good musician, you could start writing something. But like you were saying, inevitably, as you go along, things are not going to unfold the way you think. And if you don't have the imaginative ability to adjust, um, you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And same thing with, like you were saying, if you're putting on a show, you're going to have to adjust to certain things. Or you think of our athlete heroes, right? There's plenty of athletes. Every year, you'll see athletes come in who are perfect physical specimens, and they never really develop into much of anything. Or you see other ones that aren't really athletic specimens. But then when the time comes... They know how to interpret situations and they execute things just right and they become legendary mm-hmm. athletes, mm-hmm. right? So there's that kind of intangible sort of element where it's it's not about technical proficiency. Um, there is an imaginative element. You have to be able to take what you have in the scenario and you have to reimagine outcomes. So that brings me to another question, which seems very kind of paradoxical. Does play have to be challenging? Oh yes. <laughs> I, I that one I I would I'd answer almost immediately. 
and I can just imagine faces, and I'm imagining right. people frowning, saying, what? <laughs> Play is not supposed to be challenging. Well, of, of course it is if you are engaged in it, because challenging doesn't mean onerous or uh, taskmasterish or or um, just mundane. It's the opposite of play. It doesn't have to be loading you down with bricks. Um, but to, the challenge is, well, what do I do with this constraint of a piece of paper and a sketching pencil? What do I do with this sandbox? What uh, I have a granddaughter. What am I going to do? Am I, uh, and she's and we sit down in the sandbox, and she points to my shoes, and I have to take them off because they're rules. Right. You don't go in there, right? And sometimes she has the rules, and she knows what they are, but I I don't know what these rules are yet. But play is when you take the little puppy dog, little plastic toy, and you start making it go vertically up a post and she starts laughing why because dogs don't do that so so the challenge is what can i do in order to change the rules to that make her laugh and engage and then she puts your hand on you drop the dog she puts your hand on the dog puts it right back there because she wants it and she gestures with her finger she wants it again right so you change a rule you get into a ritual but then it's time to change the rule again because otherwise then the ritual just becomes the thing that you do. So what's going to be fun this time? Oh, what else can we toss in there? Right. So that the imaginative element and the challenge kind of interact, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, if, if something becomes routine, it, it almost can't be play, can it? Almost not, I would think. Because even if I have a routine, right? Even if I'm somebody who says, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for half an hour a day. I may have to back up on that. Writing might be routine, <laughs> but if I approach it the same way each time, then it's it's not going to be play anymore. Then I think it's a technical thing. If I sit down and say, I'm going to practice guitar for half an hour a day, well, I can sit down and practice the same scales and become technically proficient. But if I sit down that half an hour a day and write things, I think the writing things is play, but the, the practicing scales is something different. Hmm. You know, it may still be an art, but I think it ceases to be play. It's a discipline, but it ceases to be the, the if we're going with play as the spontaneity uh, and the full engagement, because I think you, you can, you can re rehearsing, practicing is fully engaging of some aspects of, of mind. But the difference between running lines and acting, uh, I, th I think there's a, a difference. The difference between playing chords, playing chords, or, or, or scales on the piano. You do that and you do it to warm up. Mm. What are you warming up for? To play. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I think there's a difference. So, yeah, it's, I think that we're, we're getting somewhere in, in identifying characteristics of play i'm still sort of hung up on that that what the the opposite of play is and i think that the natural inclination is to say work right but yes. i i'm thinking about my own job or probably you know your job for you know majority of your career and you think like you said um you know my job isn't always this way but a lot of times it is imaginative you know i'm trying to think i'm trying to project into the future What's going to happen? And I'm trying to problem solve. So I'm, I'm challenged. It's imaginative. I'm pretty intrinsically motivated. I haven't looked at a pay stub in months or years, you know, <laughs> mostly because my wife does all the finances. She worries about that stuff. Um, but also, I don't really care, you know, like I, I said, that's, it's not really why I'm in it. So, yeah. so it's intrinsically motivated. It's imaginary. It's, it's challenging. It's all of these different things mm -hmm. and not all the time, but there no. is a large aspect of it where I think it kind of qualifies as, as play in, in the way that we've, we've described it so far. So I do. what, what, if you can't, if you can't even identify the opposite of something, how can you hope to I determine or, or define what it is, you know? Well, I, you know, what is light if you don't know what dark is? Okay, okay. I, 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 you know, I've had, 
I've heard that so many times and I've, I've operated with that notion, but from a physics sense, now we're really straying off. I, we scientists know what a photon is and what a packet or a particle or wave of light is. I don't hear anything about the dark in definitions of photon particles package waves it can be uh, described and defined without its opposition built in i think we we default to an oppositional outlook that sometimes um, not necessarily is it nece- it isn't necessary always to define something by its opposite if we think we know what the something is. I mean, here we are saying, that, well, I've led us into this with it, right? We've play. Certain kinds of work can be play if play is an attitude in which you are totally immersed with uh, gratification, uh, gratefulness, uh, a joy of some kind, even from the hard, hard, hard work. Uh, so work is involved with it. Why? Why must it be opposite? Right. And so I think that you're you're getting at what we were kind of talking about at the very beginning, where play, rather than being a defined set of activities, is almost an attitude towards things. And so it almost seems like. Rather than play being a a certain set of things you can define, it's almost more something that people experience in different amounts. You can you can definitely imagine people who work and work is never play to them, and some people who play and play is not play to them. I don't know what that would be. Maybe they have a stamp collection. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> some people could make having a stamp collection play, and some people might just. That might Suck be the, the that life might, out of it. It might be their hobby, but yeah. yeah, they don't they don't actually engage with it. There's not a really, you know, an imaginary. There, there's thing. that engaging things. You're you're bringing me back to uh, one of the episodes we we talked about where I, I and I'm blanking because we've done enough of them now that it. <laughs> but we we're talking about a whole string of words. Is this? something is that something well and, and that, that's coming back into my head because is play work it can be but i think the definition that we've that we often default to is here we go a construct of a narrow view of work from primarily capitalistic uh, notion that says now it's time to be serious and do our work and it used to be from nine to five five days a week and then overtime and now it's whatever blown away schedule that any particular mm-hmm. group of, of companies can put together for their employees so nine to five doesn't exist for most people uh, but that idea that you have to now it's time to be serious because well Play would suggest that even in the most serious things, unless it's a mind-numbing, bone-crushing kind of work that human beings shouldn't have to be engaged in from nine to five, five days a week anyway, um, it, it doesn't. It, it, we define it in terms of economics again, mm. and I think that's the important part. Is you know, I think we've sort of gone over how work can be play if you have the right job or the right mindset or attitude. But I think how play can be work is a little bit more um, hard to imagine. So I think that that is where we should differentiate types of play, Mm -hmm. right? We've got there's games, there's sports, there's Mm -hmm. arts. You think about professional sports, that's where you can easily imagine how play can become work. An athlete is is playing a game. There's no, um, there's not really anything about professional sports that is um, necessary. Uh, <laughs> there's entertain entertainment is necessary, right? I think that it it's people need um, psychologically to play, we, to need play. To play. <laughs> so yes, we need to yes. play. We need to have that <laughs> intrinsically motivated, you know, imaginary thing. But the actual players, the ones who are engaged in the play, um, you hear about it. You know, some players will get to a point in their career where they say, 
this is too difficult on my body. Um, you know, I've made so much money. I've done all these things. It's not enjoyable to me. I'm, I'm just working. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of how play can become, become work, you know? Yeah. Um, If you lose the element of, of, of the joy of it. Right. So let's talk about some formative elements. When did play develop? Who, (laughs) what is the purpose of play? I'm not even going to touch the first one. <laughs> I okay, yes, I will. Uh, going back to something else we mentioned once, uh, I, I think play developed probably back when when the the teenage the teenagers of uh, ten thousand years ago were uh, mocking their hunting parents by drawing ridiculous figures on the caves of Lascaux. Right. <laughs> Doing See, a graphic novel on the on the walls. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking it. I'm thinking it developed before that. I'm sure um, it probably did. But you go ahead. So me. you look at if we look at animals, right? There's different animals that involve engage in play. Oh yes, a lot of different animals, mostly mammals. Um, and I there's there's some um, some debate there. A lot of people say, oh well, you know. A dolphin's not playing with a ball. He's being trained and, you know, behaviorally reinforced or whatever. But scientists have actually observed animals in nature outside of human influence have seen them play. The one that stuck out to me the most is they did a, they saw a thing with chimpanzees where they notice um, chimpanzees play with dolls, hmm. but the dolls are sticks. And mm-hmm. so they'll, they'll find a stick. And the way that they know it's play is that female chimpanzees play with the sticks but the males don't and the female chimpanzees put their sticks in their nests and female chimpanzees do not play with sticks after they have babies of their own so these adolescent female chimpanzees are essentially playing mother to these sticks it's Hmm. you know and that kind of gets at all right so we see we see that something as advanced as a dolphin or a chimpanzee plays in nature. What about, what about a hamster running on a wheel? Do you think that's play or what, is that something else? Oh, I think, I think part of it is, um, I, I don't have a great deal of experience with, with hamsters, but my daughter did guinea pig once. And I, I think, I think so. I think I was sitting on my, on my porch the other day, sipping coffee, talking to my wife in the morning. And we were watching these two rabbits, Young rabbits chasing each other back and forth, and then they'd bounce into each other, and then they'd go in a circle, and then they and this wasn't a, a mating activity. Um, they kept coming back. There was no fear, ferocity of, of, that one could determine. It made you laugh. Or um, deer, because we have a lot of animals where we are, that there are young deer kicking their legs up, leaping backwards from things and and just going and and then chasing each other around the yard just apparently for the fun of it now maybe we anthropomorphize that but i but that's you just open up a whole a huge thing a huge area with this this formative part because what you described with the the chimpanzee uh, we could easily uh transfer that to well why do we give uh children uh uh, kitchens to pretend with? Why do we give them little cars to push and pretend with so they understand the cars go vroom vroom and you get into them and you drive and pick up trunks, trucks, dump dirt and race cars go round and round and you put f- food in the microwave and go beep beep and, and so play becomes that kind of play becomes social training. Right, and that, that leads directly into the next part that I want to talk about. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, so you look at this, right? And you see in nature, it looks like a lot of play is essential to learning the skills that are going to be needed as an adult to survive. So, you know, you see um, wolf cubs, you know, fighting and stuff, you know, and or, you know, kittens hunting bugs. That's all things that they are going to need to know how to do in order to survive as adults. And I think that you pointed out um, that with human children, there's certain types of play that do the same thing, right? You know, you have a kitchen set where you have a car where you have all these different things. I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, you know, we had, uh, 
a staircase and you had the, the, the section underneath the stairs. I had an office. I had not, there was an Etch-A-Sketch and there was notebooks all lined up and pencils and colored pencils and markers and all this stuff. And I'd, I wouldn't, I'd tell my mom that I was going to my office, you know, to, to and, uh, I, I was pretending I was an architect and that was, that was my play, right? I'd, I'd go into my office and I'd, I had it all set up just like an, like an adult office and I'd pretend I was designing buildings or whatever, right? <laughs> it's funny how that kind of projects into your future, right? Because even as an adult, like, I don't have any ambitions to be an architect, right, you know, anymore. But that still seems to me like it would be a really great job, right? You're autonomous and you're creative and you're doing all these different things and, you know. And yet you're going to a space in which you're doing problem solving and sometimes sketching or writing right. out things and it's so it's not far from the mark but that but that but that was your own you were perhaps internalizing or externalizing something that seemed cool to you to do for whatever reason and part of that was because of things that you had seen the the social training the social constructedness of so-called play um, that's where i think it gets uh, devious and um, almost unjustifiable, right? Because there are things that there because are things the that the adults, right? The adults are projecting <laughs> things onto children, right? You're creating mm -hmm. gender norms. You're creating other yeah. things, yeah, um, that are shaping the future of the child, right? I shouldn't admit this, but I this is not an advertisement. Let's just say this. I was I stopped because I stopped at a fast food place um, and drove through because I wanted a small order of fries. I was just craving some fries and plenty of cars ahead of me. And I'd hear the nice voice on the, on the crackly audio ask somebody when they were getting a Happy Meal. Still, in the 21st century, in 2020, and what toy would you like that? A boy toy or a girl toy? Why? Why? That, it, it's an unconscionable. Mm -hmm. You should be asking whether you want a boy toy. I want a toy. <laughs> it can be a toy. A kid can play with anything until the parents tell them, oh, boys don't play with that or girls don't play with it. The moment that all of that happens, play goes out the window. It evaporates. Mm -hmm. And it becomes your job to learn what it is you can and cannot do are or are not supposed to be so that's we've we've gone into the <laughs> grim side of, of what play is about <laughs> right but it, it so it does it, now it begs the question right why why do creatures play is it for what is the purpose of it do you think the, that it's to learn what you need to do as an adult to survive? Is it for recreation? Is it for socialization? Obviously, it's some element of all of those. Some element. But of do all you think those. that? Do you think it developed to do one of those things specifically? And it's sort of a uh, you know. I think we thought we developed it to accomplish something of utility. I think the back part of our minds that really kind of knew better and said that it's healthy. We wouldn't, we wouldn't engage in play were, were it not somehow vital to our lives. We can mess it up. We can try to control it. We can put all kinds of constraints on what play is. But I think that the deepest part of ourselves recognizes that we need to get away from whatever we are at that moment doing. I I would even assert that you can you can uh, play by getting away from play. When when you've you've gotten caught up in a kind of play that, as you said earlier, becomes almost work. Well, then we have to find a different kind of play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely happened to me before. You know where, you know, I'll get sick of sick of doing something a certain way, so I'll. I'll create different rules, you know? Okay, well, now I'm going to do something this way or without using this and see what I can do, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my feeling on it is that, you know, looking at, looking at nature, right? Play probably developed to um, 
help us develop the skills we need to survive as adults. Now, what does that mean? What skills do you need to survive as an adult human? I think it is being able to imagine various futures. Alternatives, yes. So that's the thing is, you know, like when I think about, when I think about things, right, I'm probably one of the most playful adults I know in terms of, I would agree. I'm always adults that I know. Right. I'm always. I'm just. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm trying to take it, the thing that I'm doing, and I'm trying to have fun with it, and I'm trying to, you know, imagine how I'm going to use it and stuff. You and I have talked about um, school, right? You don't get this far into an educational career and and not take classes that the title wasn't interesting to you, or not take classes where you and the professor have different personalities, or so on and so yes, forth. Yes. Yes. But there's always that element of, well, I'm going to approach this with an open mind and think, well, how is, you know, whatever business principles of this, <laughs> how could that, how could I use that? Or how would that apply to something that I actually think is fun, you know? And then having that sort of mindset and going into it, that critical thinking or the, you know, it, it's that imaginative part of it. You can take almost anything and make it into something um, enjoyable. I think, I think I mentioned it before. I can't remember if it's on the show or not, but one of my favorite movies is an Italian movie. Um, life is good. I think it was where, um, it's, it's in, it's in Italian, it's in a foreign language, but it's uh, a guy during the Holocaust with his son. And so to try to shield his son about what's going on as they end up in a concentration camp and stuff, he makes a game out of it. And so no matter how hard things are getting, he always is convincing his son that it's part of this elaborate game that they're yeah, playing, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, just a really great movie. But it is kind of an, you know, a, a, an image of, yeah, you really can take almost anything. And if you're trying to see what things you can learn from it and see how you can apply it and imagine what that future may be, it can be play. And again, Absolutely. like, like yes, that example I used earlier, you know, it's, it's different if you have a blank plot of land or if you have a fully built house. And that's kind of an analogy for life, right? You know, <laughs> the older you get, the more of the house you have built. But that doesn't mean that there's not things you can do. Absolutely. With it. You, know, you, you can change the purpose. Right? You repurpose a room. You change what you're going to do in that room. You try something completely different in that room that you haven't done before. Uh, yeah, it's, it's endless. Owning or living in a house. Unless, unless your person just says, this is it, this is where the chair is going to be for the next 55 years. <laughs> and there are people who do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I put it there, why would I move it again? Um, there's a lack of spontaneity in that that could betray uh, some deeper <laughs> need to always be obsessively in control of, of everything. But you can even be obsessively controlled in a, in a playful sense. I mean, I've seen kids do. And back to kids again, but you build a bunch of blocks and watch what a toddler's going to do right. every single time. <laughs> and then you can either say, no, no, we don't knock on those blocks. Or you can say, oh, no, it's Godzilla. It's coming down and knocking them. Don't knock the blocks down, monster. <laughs> and then you build up. I, I, I think that the house certainly leads you to that. You can get frustrated with the house. You can definitely not have fun with mm-hmm. a house. The plumbing problems or water leaks are not fun. Um, and you can drive yourself to distraction trying to solve the problem. But the solving of the problem is a kind of play. Right. If you let yourself rethink of it that way. Yeah. You're de- those are the, the skills you need to survive as an adult, is those abilities to say, oh, okay, I've got a problem. What are the different solutions that might be available to me? And what seems to be the best one? And then if that one fails, what's my backup? And what are these different? You're imagining different futures, you know? Watch me, watch me be sexist here. I'm not trying to be. So I'll back myself right up when, once I do this. Why do you think guys like going to the hardware so much? Well, but there are a lot of women. Uh, there are a lot of people who like to go to the hardware. I assert that people keep going back to the hardware sometimes multiple times in a day, not only because they need other things, but because they like to stand and look and try to figure out how they can solve 
something. Mm. Yesterday, I engaged in play with a, a nice person from a local hardware. I walked in with two different whirly gigs. My wife gives me these because she knows that I like them. Uh, and the device is spinning in the wind, made of metal. And just, But both of them, recent ones, I had stored away in my barn, and, and they were missing a couple of pieces. So I walked in, and I said, I have these toys, right? These, <laughs> these garden whirly gigs. And I said, uh, I would like to see if we can work together to figure out how uh, to make these work better uh, because they're missing pieces. And he took me into the back. We put them on a table. We looked and he said, hmm. And, and we were both talking about, and then we talked about colors and aesthetics. And we were, talking, we were playing. We walked out to the other end of the store, found some tubes, you know, <laughs> came back, tried it. Nope, a rubber grum. And nope. And then he started going to other boxes, opening up drawers and closing them and sometimes opening and saying, hmm, and then closing them and then reaching in and pulling, pulling out a plastic joint that might work with a brown or metal copper piece. I I assert that that was play. We were laughing. We were talking. Right. Um, lost track of time. Yeah. So, you know, I, so play, you know, if, if it developed in humans for the same reason it did, it did in animals, you know, you're, you're developing skills you need to survive as an adult, um, then it makes sense that the brain would reinforce that behavior by making it enjoyable, yeah. you know, yeah. so that, that way you're more likely to, to engage with it. And, and it does happen everywhere, you know, like even at, even at a factory, my, you know, my job in a factory, right? You'd think that that would be pretty, okay, <laughs> well, you just do this one thing, but no, like we use... We use the big insulators as table legs and all kinds of stuff in the offices. You look at the around the office, you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool. They've used all these, these different parts for, for uh, reasons that you wouldn't think you'd use mm. things for, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, there so was a picture. There was a picture that uh, my wife showed me the other day. She said, isn't this wonderful? It was a wooden staircase. In, in a, in a, it was a grand house. But at the base of the, of the wooden staircase, you had to look twice. There was a harp. So when you walk down the staircase, you can go, when you, when you go, that was playful. Who would have thought of, of doing that? Right. Or, or putting an insulator under a table. It's certainly, well, well, that's just useful. It just happens to be the right size. Yes, yeah, says the grumpy guy. Right. <laughs> Underneath, he's saying, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the speculative a little bit. Um how do you think play has changed as technology has advanced? Mm. Wow, that's just a really expansive. Uh, it, technology has uh, allowed whole development, development of whole, uh, I guess, subsets or subgenres of games. Gaming. Mm -hmm. um, which has led to game theory, which is a very serious thing about how we use games to organize society, right? Or be, uh, regulate behavior. Um, technology. Well, uh, it, 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 weights. You have weights. They're, they're, they're kind of play. Mm. Uh, they're perhaps, are they more balanced than they used to be? Are there a wider range of weights? Are there different kinds of weights that didn't exist? Uh, technology has helped. Or, you know, the playfulness in in creative development of engineering uh, designs and ergonomic designs for different kinds of weights that you can hold. Um, video games, um, people who like to race cars, some of the kinds of engines that they can race. Uh, uh, building a computer from scratch, as you have done, as my brother has done. Uh, would you say that's a play, a kind of play because of technology? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're connecting it in a way that I, I wasn't really even thinking of when I wrote the question, which is that, you know, play or, you know, technology has made a lot of that type of play possible, right? Like you mentioned weights, something as simple as weights, right? You know, before, you know, without certain technology, how would you ensure that they're balanced so that when you lifted them, you didn't have one side that was too heavy or lighter, mm. those other things, or, you know, like, you know, with, with computers, making sure everything works or instruments, you know, technology has really made all of those things more, um, more efficient, more, more usable. So technology is kind of affecting the toys, right? Yeah. 
and then the toys in 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 uh, regard are affecting the play. Um, do you think toys are necessary? They're not necessary to play. I wouldn't say, right? <laughs> are toys necessary to play? It, well, I would try not to be wishy-washy, but I guess it depends on what you call a toy. One of the dearest people in my life is a lad. All he needed was a stick and a wall of stones. He and my son, he, 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 he was creating soundtracks in his mind. He was imitating the, the fight scenes and warrior scenes and that too, but, but all sticks. Happy as a, as a lark with a stick and climbing around on a boulder. Well, uh, teleologically, when we define things by their, uh, do you find, define things by their intent, intentional use, or by the other ways in which they are actually used? Uh, so the teleology says uh, what, it looks at the design of a, uh, what is a thing for. Mm. All right. Well, the stick wasn't for playing, but it became a toy. I think you could be running around outside without having any a toy at all and have a great time in your in your mind. So yeah, I guess. Though I think I would argue that outside itself has become the toy, toy. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that's funny because I was looking up the etymology of toy before mm -hmm. we started, and um, that's really fascinating because um, I basically I didn't do that. What did yeah. You find? So toy. Um, the first usage was found in like the 1300s and they have no idea where it came from. It does no real. It doesn't go back to Latin or something. No, but there's a similar word across uh, a lot of European cultures. And the, the definition or the meaning behind these similar words are very disparaging. Um, <laughs> In in a lot of a lot of terms, meaning um, the general consensus is that it just means stuff, <laughs> but also there's um, things meaning garbage <laughs> or um, frivolous thing. Okay, so, all right. So, so that kind of does. I mean, garbage, you know, or frivolous thing. That kind of tells you something about a toy, right? Yeah. Or stuff. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, well, it doesn't get more vague than that, right? Stuff. You, stuff. If you consider a toy to be stuff, then yeah, the world could be a toy. And so, yeah, at one point, you know, this is where the philosophy comes in is that, that, like you said, the teleological or ontological argument of, well, where, how do we define what a toy is to know if a toy is necessary to play? Anything can be a toy. Right. It's almost as if a toy is a a gateway to the imaginary world of play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter what you're using. If you're using something to engage in that imaginary um, action, then that thing is is a toy. You know. It's, what what makes a contractor really? Why does a contractor get? <laughs> Riddle me this, Batman. Why does, a, why does a contractor get upset when somebody uses a pair of pliers as a hammer? Because <laughs> it's not what it's for. That see the teleological, <laughs> right? Um, but what happens if somebody purposely, often a child, takes a pair of pliers, for instance, and starts going bang, 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 and watches the adult? The adult frowns. Which of course makes the child go hee hee hee. So that 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 tool has become a toy. All right, frivolity, which is an, another way of saying uh, uh, that which does not need to exist in order for us to survive. And I would argue that that's wrong too. I do argue that that's wrong. We we need frivolity in order to survive. Right. So it's almost like um, some play. And now, if we're looking at it in an economic point of view, right? Play is some is focused on production without the necessity of efficiency, which is funny because in capitalism those things are um, intimately linked. You have to be productive and efficient. Play says, "No, I'm going to make something, but I don't really care if it's the most efficient or effective way of doing it. I'm just going to imagine 
a different way of doing it. Let me show you. Let me but show, that's the way yes. some things are, are created. Um, yeah. You know, in, in researching the episode, Einstein said that that was, that's how he came across a lot of his discoveries was, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to try to imagine things that don't exist in real life, hoping that that's going to lead me to solutions that nobody's ever thought of. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. The, he came up with the most important discoveries in modern science by playing. What if? What if is the? That's the uh, uh, one of the essential doorways into play. And that's how you find more efficient ways of doing things. Is you know, if you're just doing it the most efficient way, that kind of closes the door to finding more efficient ways. <laughs> you know, you have to you have to think of that exactly the what if you know yeah, well, did you i'm wondering I, i'm 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 using my phone at this very moment the etymology of pretend yeah i haven't i have not looked that up i'm going to look that up because the word pretend is echoing in my head because i i i assume that it happened i'll find this out again soon in my life but i remember as a kid saying let's pretend let's pretend well, what 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 does pretend mean? Uh, in Latin, the origin is before pre tendra, before stretch, stretch forth and claim. Hmm. Uh, uh, stretch forth claim becomes uh, well. What does it actually mean now? To direct one's efforts in the in the Middle Ages, uh, to claim, to demand, to put forward, to hold out. Let's pretend that I'm a superhero. <laughs> and let's pretend that you have just crashed on the ground and you're a robot and you're, you want to just take over the earth. And let's, well, you watch kids playing Let's Pretend. They, they do this whole narrative. They've rehearsed the whole thing before it happens and pretend and pretend and pretend and that it becomes like a, a ritualized um the uh, 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 hat hook uh, place to hang your hat, so to speak, for the next part of the story. And if it doesn't go right, they say, no, 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 no. Let's not pretend that. Let's pretend that it's changing the rules. Right. And this is something that adults do without saying pretend um, mm-hmm. in think tanks or in other, mm-hmm. other places where you get together and you say, Hey, let's let's brainstorm. You know, let's <laughs> think more serious than pretend alternatives, right? <laughs> but but that's playful, and you know, you, and you. I think that there is something to say. Um, some of these people who are, again, you know, it's very capitalist centered, very um, business centered. But people who, I think, a lot of people who succeed in those realms might be some of the more playful people because you're opening your mind to imagining the different scenarios right um and yeah it's just it's kind of an interesting interesting thing um back to technology so what i was thinking when i asked the question was we see kids utilizing technology to play Mm -hmm. um now do you think that's going to have a a developmental impact on future generations um, what do you think it's going to be? Well, okay, so when you say what is it going to, uh, what is our technology now? How is that going to shape? Yeah, so I mean, kids think later? about it. Like, you know, when I was a kid and I played, playing was, you know, we had we had video games, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they weren't the same kind of games, right, right. Really. You know, graphically and and all of these different things, they were they were much lower quality. And there was still a very large element of um, playing with toys, uh, you know, Transformers or Legos or <laughs> sticks, <Yeah. laughs> plastic swords, this yes. sort of thing, right? Yeah. We're seeing that sort of thing um, fade out a bit in favor of screens. Do you think that re- replacing um, some of that manual play with the screens that have the advanced graphics yeah. and audio and these sorts of things. Do you think that that will developmentally impact? It already um, has. It already children? does. Uh, it, it, it has developed, it has an impact at all, but how many different neurological studies have shown that our brains are literally transforming, um, the wiring, so to speak. Um, we are training ourselves 
to read differently. We are training ourselves to play differently because of the tools with which we surround ourselves. Uh, I, I get very uh, annoyed sometimes with the the rather frequent assertion by people among whom one lives that, well, life used to be slower and simpler back in the old days. Says you, go back and try to build a house out of a bunch of logs and make sure that you kill enough food for a day. And there are some survivalists and some people who can manage to do that. But I wouldn't assert that that was simple. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't assert that it was very slow, right. <laughs> especially if you have uh, your. Let's just say that the wild animals aren't going to like say, "Oh, well, let's give them five days before they get a shelter," right? So, so I I don't think that we're talking about slow and quick and and, and better or worse, but we are talking about the the, the reality that that neurologically, our tools are changing us. Well, I think. It, probably has always been the case. Uh, we, we invent tools to manipulate our environment. The manipulation of the environment is itself a kind of play. We are pretending or seeing pretend in our head, I need a tool to do this. Ah, I can make this happen now. Pretend I can blow up the world. Okay, let's make a bunch of rockets that have nuclear warheads on them. Mm. Gee, can. It's a horror, but, uh, you know... So, to me, I'd much rather be outside <laughs> at 62, um, playing with sticks while trimming bushes and, and, and redesigning pathways and, and things like this um, than in on a screen. And yet, how do I relax sometimes? I watch some Netflix <laughs> where somebody else is pretending and putting on plays. <laughs> right. So I can't disparage it. I can't say, oh, well, we were better back then. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, again, there's probably not an inherent um, an inherent good or bad to a tool. It's, you know, it's the way things are used, utilized. Um, but think about it in the context of um, the next generation of children, right? So... Uh, education is a, is a pretty good example, right? Mm-hmm. In education, we've known for a long time that um, students learn easier if you're not just talking at them in the front of a class. Yeah. So they say, use visuals, use things that they can touch, use this, all this other stuff. But also for a long time, education has been a little bit technophobic in some regards of trying to um, keep things. And then they did some studies and found, oh, well, turns out when we let students use computer games to learn, or we let them use some virtual reality stuff to learn. They actually do a better job learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, if they do a better job learning with the technology, um, what does that say for things like um, extracurricular video games, right? So you have these video games that are with the graphics that's much more real, audio that's much more real, sometimes virtual reality mm-hmm. um, that are very violent, for instance, right? So do you think that's teaching children to be violent through play or do you think it's cathartic or do you think that it's um, recreational where do you think that there's able this there's an able ability for children to separate play in their minds like that i've thought about this for a long time because my teaching career has spanned essentially of the advent of the video game. And over and over again, I've heard this fallacious assumption by, by the fear mongers saying, oh, it's teaching our children to be, there have been more studies than one can, I think, adequately count, none of which can definitively or even partially lead to uh, the uh, support of that assumption. It turns out that video games don't create killers. However, apparently video games can help military people uh, become more accurate <laughs> and, and more quickly responsive. Uh, that doesn't make them killers either. The training is what makes one uh, itself uh, the, the necessity of the killing. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think that... I mean, I think about the games that I played before we ever had video games. I mean, pow, pow, pow. 
Why? Because there are Westerns on TV, right? And right. Egregious storylines, some of them. But um, I, I make you go away. I, I just, I, I, I want you to go away now. And so I'm just concentrating so hard. When I open my eyes, you won't be there. <laughs> right? The angry stuff. Sometimes kids have tantrums, right? Mm-hmm. And if they had the actual power to do that, there was a Star Trek episode about that kid called Charlie X. He could do it. If he didn't like you were talking, he closed his eyes and, and you no longer had a mouth. <laughs> he can bring it back, thankfully. But <laughs> um, so pretend is a really good thing because it is cathartic. Right. Yeah, I think that, that it highlights, again, we're, what we're learning about play, which is that it's not a linear thing. You're not just existing in the real world and then engaging in play. You're engaging in play. And then what you learn from that play is informing your real life, how you use things. Right. And so a violent video game, um, may improve your hand eye coordination. It may give you an appreciation for various story arcs and artists who create the images. Right. Right. It can do a, it can do a number of things that may inform how you, how you utilize those new skills in another part of your life, which may inform the kind of games that you're interested in in the future that may inform, you know, so it's, it's, it's a cyclic thing, you know, where we, you don't just, and I think that that, um, negates that idea of play as frivolous as Mm -hmm. the etymological term would imply, you know, we don't just do it as, you know, it, it's not just a time waster. It's not just something that, you know, we do. It's an essential thing. We we play and then we, we're learning things from that hypothetical environment. We're, we're, we're gaining knowledge that we're applying to And, and if we are, see, this is, an, and I don't want for a moment to say, well, I just think, give kids a bunch of violent video games, let them use the same shooter, RPG game, whatever, uh, all the time. No, because then there's not playing anymore. Then it's just, oh, I've got to keep doing this thing because I'm doing this thing. No, give them an entirely different game. Mm-hmm. Now try this. Right, <laughs> right. And, and gaming is a whole different scenario. There's a, there's, there's a fascinating psychological aspect to that too. And that's another thing where play can become work. You know, you see people who have become addicted to um some of the online games and, and or hiring other people to play their games for them. So right. they get more the, points. Yeah. The term is, is grinding, you know, they grind in the game, um, which is doing just routine, normal stuff in order to gain some kind of currency that will help you advance. And it's, you know, so yeah, there's a whole different dimension to gaming, um, that you, we could probably do a whole episode on if we wanted to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, it's really covered just how complex play is, you know, it's not defining it as difficult. Um, identifying the, the motivations or purposes behind it is difficult Hmm. and identifying, you know, how we use it now, how we'll use it in the future and what sort of things we take away from is, is, um, is difficult. And and not to let something be labeled play that aren't right. Um, kids and, and adults. Uh, sometimes, <clears throat> I mean, it's lead, led to some of the, the, the historical contextual problems we have right now. Um, well, they might not say playing, when kids might say, oh, somebody gets hurt and they're, I didn't mean it, we were just playing. Can become in adulthood. I didn't mean anything by that. It was just a joke, mm-hmm, and, right? And it wasn't, and it was much more than you know. So, so some things aren't play. Mm-hmm. Some things are uh, used rather uh, badly. Uh, do rather badly to be trying to cloak under and hidden under the idea of play. Yeah, I'm thinking, thinking technology. Though. Remember that the root word of technology is techne, and techne means art and craftsmanship. Hmm. So the very thing that we think of as machines, it's a, it, it comes from art. <laughs> right. Yeah, play informed, uh, play informed their invention. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's continuing to inform uh, a lot of the high, high technology and advances and, and arts as going forward, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. That was, that was a good discussion. Uh, until next time, keep pondering.